such a good song, isn't it? You remember the, you know, like the the uh, the hook to that. All you need is love. Yeah, great, great song. And you know what? I think um, I think the Beatles were onto something here, weren't they? You know, there's there's a reason that was one of their number one hits, right? This song about love. All you need is love. I th I think they were really onto something there. Um, you know, because I think if we truly understood what love is, then actually love is all we would need. You know, um, the problem is, though, I think that most of us don't really understand what love truly is. Okay, we, we get a lot of um, ideas from pop culture, um, from TV shows, uh, from books that we read, if people still read books anymore, um, of what of what love is, what it should be, what it should look like. Okay, um, and there's much talk today about what love means. In fact, one of the popular slogans if you, and, and phrases of our culture today is love is love. Yeah, you ever, you ever heard that expression? You ever have seen it on a poster or uh, on a sign somewhere? Love is love. What does that mean? Okay, it's, you know, I, th I think there's a certain practicality and, you know, people are saying, well, just love is love. You know, it, it is what it is, right? That's one of those wonderful expressions people love to say, which actually means nothing but love is love so what does it mean well so i went to the the urban dictionary for a definition of the phrase love is love and here's what it says it says it's not about sex or gender of the person but how they treat you so as long as you're getting the love and affection that you need to be happy in love then it doesn't and shouldn't matter what gender is loving you all right, so hmm, I read that and I think, well, that sounds very nice on the on the, the face of it. You know, that's that's lovely. Um, it shouldn't matter about the sex or gender and all these kind of things. But notice something here. Notice what it says. So as long as you're getting the love and affection that you need to be happy, then it doesn't and shouldn't matter. Okay. So do you do you see there? There's there's a subtle um, definition there which says actually love's all about yourself. It's all about what you need, what you get, what makes you happy. And as long as you're getting that, then it's love. And actually, that is not what love is. This is actually um, the very antithesis of what godly love is. It's not about you getting everything you need. It's about what you can give to others. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today is, is what is the true meaning of love? What, what does love really encompass? And from this passage today that we just read from First John, we're going to discover actually that uh, there are two marks of perfect love. Like John talks about perfect love. And um, there are two marks. And we're going to unpack them, but I'm going to give you them up front. All right. So the first mark is confidence before God. Confidence before God. And the second mark is to love and have love for your brothers and sisters. And I don't mean just your family. I mean, you know, our brothers and sisters, the human race. So let's look at this first example of confidence before God. We look at that first phrase um, that, that John wrote there, the beginning in verse uh, halfway through 16. God is love. It's, it's a beautiful uh, sentence, one of the perhaps one of the most known, well-known Bible verses out there, right? Even if you're not particularly a Bible reader or, or, or even a Christian, right? Or, a, you know, perhaps you have a, a sort of a, a vague idea and belief in God. That sentence, God is love, is, is deeply profound. 
and hits home to a lot of people. It's, it's profound, it's short, it's a three-word sentence. God is love. But what does that mean? What is that, what is that saying? Well, saying that God is love is saying that God is the definer of love. Love is defined by God. Not by us, but by God. God is the definition of love. It does not say love is defined uh, love defines God. That's not what it says, because then the sentence would have to read, Love is God. It doesn't say that. It says God is love. And of course, God is not only love, because God is infinite and He's unlimited, but God is the one who defines what love is. Now, if that's the case, which it is, it therefore stands to reason that if God defines what love is, and is the very definition of love, if you don't have God in your life, or you say you don't believe in God, or you don't love God, then you will actually never have or know what true love is. Now, I know there may be many of you watching or listening today who, who, who are thinking, well, I, I don't know. I, th- I, I know what love is. You know, you, you might think you do because you perhaps you have a warm, fuzzy feeling for somebody else. And perhaps you say, I love you a lot. But without God, all these are pale imitations and a sad second best to what true love is. So, yes, God, God is love. And then John goes on to say, he says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So what John is really saying is that if you truly are living a life of love, it's because you are living a life that has embraced and loves God. Now, to to love and embrace God, what does that mean? To love and to embrace God actually means to love and embrace his son, Jesus Christ. There's actually no way to love God and not love Jesus. Why? Because they are one and the same. This is our our triune God we're talking about. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you say, well, yeah, I love God the Father, but not God the Son, then no, you're not wholly loving God. So to love God is to embrace Jesus, is to embrace his Son. And when we do that, God, uh, God sends the Holy Spirit. And makes his dwelling place in us. And in fact, that's what John tells us a few verses back from where we started today. If you look at verse 13 of chapter 4 there of 1 John. John says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. So without God's spirit residing in us, again, we can't truly understand or live out true love. Now, um, you, you might argue, I, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I, I know plenty of people who, who don't necessarily believe in God, and they are some of the most loving and caring people I know. Yeah, we all know people like that, right? It's like, wow, it's, I don't believe in God, but they're, they're a really lovely, kind and caring person. And I know it seems like that, but ultimately, without God being the motivating factor to love, right? In other words, if our love is not God-centered, if it's not coming from God, then our love is always deep down, it's always motivated by selfishness. You love to get something in return. You love this person because they make you feel good, because they say nice things to you. 
you love this person because um, you know you have this amazing intimate physical relationship you love this person because they give you something so there's a selfish route to the love it's an incomplete love because it involves selfishness but John in verse 17 so he tells us actually how love is made complete in us he says this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world we are like Jesus what does John mean by that well so John's talking about the day of judgment you know judgment day we've all heard of that um, it's um, it's a day where we will all stand before God and be judged will be judged to either be righteous in his eyes or unrighteous in his eyes and so you know if you spend your whole life saying don't judge me the bad news is unfortunately it's inevitable you're going to be judged at some point um but john is making the point that we can have confidence before god when that day comes because of jesus christ he says in this world we are like jesus now what does that mean um you know because I know there are plenty of days where I don't feel like anything like Jesus. Uh, I can be short-tempered. I can be arrogant. I can be unloving. I can be unkind. Hey, I'm your pastor, by the way. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I, I'm like everybody else in the world. I am a sinful human being who uh, can do things that displease God and hurt other people. But when John says we are like Jesus, he's not so much talking about our character or our conduct but he's talking about our standing before God. In other words, how does God see us? How are we in God's eyes? And the answer is, if you've, if you've loved and embraced Jesus, then you are in good standing before God. We are like Jesus in God's eyes. He's not angry at you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not waiting for you to trip up. He's not waiting to vindictively punish you. No, he looks at you and he says, oh, you look like my son. You remind me of my son. I love you. And you are accepted just like my son is. Isn't that a relief? Isn't, isn't that a relief? Isn't that amazing that it's not about what you have done or have to do and how many good deeds you have stacked up against your bad deeds. Like, you know, God's going to have this uh, cosmic weighing scale where he goes, hmm, okay, here are the good deeds. Bloop. Okay, now here are the bad deeds. Bloop. Now let's see what happens. Oh, oh, look at that. Your bad deeds outweigh your goods. Off you go. No. God's saying it's not about that. It's not about that. It's about my son. Jesus and when you accept him you are accepted and loved by me so no we don't have to be fearful you know and let's be honest some of us we get a little bit fearful don't we and afraid when you hear the mention of judgment day you know that the whole guilty conscience starts kicking in and, and we worry we think oh what's that day going to be like what's God going to think of me did I make the mark did I pass the test we already have our answer we are like Jesus and therefore can be fully confident in that day, not full of fear. Fear is not a part of love. And John tells us fear cannot play a role in true love. That's why John writes in verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love. Let me say that again. There is no fear in 
love. But perfect fear, sorry, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So let's unpack that a little bit. John says that fear has to do with punishment. So there's something about fear that embodies punishment that is part of fear's nature. And what often creates fear in us and other people is the threat of punishment. It's kind of how the law works, right? If you do something wrong, there will be a punishment for it. We use this all the time, discipline our children, don't we? We give them, so if you do this, there will be consequences. But fear is something that we all live with to some degree. When somebody says they're fearless, they're not telling you the truth. Everybody has some element of fear in their life. And in fact, the Greek word that John uses here for fear is the word phobos. And of course, it's where we get our English word phobia from. So think about that. At the root of phobias is fear. Homophobia is based on fear. Xenophobia is based on fear. Negrophobia, which is the fear of black people and black culture, is based on fear. This pandemic, this virus that we are living through, has created in our whole society um, a, a, a phobia that is known as agoraphobia. Sorry, agoraphobia, which is the fear of entering open or crowded spaces and or of leaving one's home. Many, many people today are suffering from agoraphobia because of the times we're living in. And do you see right now that as a society, we are surrounded by and driven by fear, fear, fear. Phobos, 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 phobia, phobia, phobia. Right now, our society is caught up in a tsunami of fear. And fear seems to be driving everything right now, doesn't it? Seems to be in the driving seat right now. The killing of George Floyd was not based on love. It was based on fear. The rioting and looting is based on fear, not love. The calls to defund the police are based on fear, not love. And as Christians, we have to respond differently to the rest of the world. The greatest characteristic of the Christian should not be that we fear, but that we love. Let me say that again. The greatest characteristic of the Christian should not be that we fear and that we walk in fear, but that we love. Verse 18 tells us that fear is something that has to be driven out. He says perfect love drives out fear. Fear lives within us, but it has to be driven out like the demon is driven out of the possessed person. It can only be done through love. But again, that brings us back to the question, what truly is love? Well, John gives us the answer. We have to go back a few verses, but he gives us the answer back in verse 10 of chapter 4 here. John says the following. He says, this is love. This is, in other words, here you go, folks. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There was no reason... For God to become one of us. There was no reason he had to go to the cross for us. There was no reason God had to die and rise from the dead for us. So that our sins and our fear could be removed. There was no reason for all of that. Other than the fact that God loves us. 
God stood nothing to gain nothing from the cross. And we stand to gain everything from the cross. There was nothing in it for God. It was all for us. So do you see how fundamentally different that is from the counterfeit love or loves that this world tries to sell you when it tritely says love is love? That's not a that's not a sacrificial love. That's a selfish love. God's love is self-sacrificial and so should ours be. And in verse 19, that's why John says we love because he first loved us. Do you understand what that means? We love because he first loves us. In other words, all true love is a response to the love that God initiated first. If God had, uh, if you like to, if I want to say, if God had not gone first in loving us, we would never be able to truly love him or anyone else. God is the foundation of our love. Now, there are many people who say they love God They really do. And they claim to be good little Christians. Maybe they go to church every week. But John warns us that it's not about words. And it's not about labeling yourself something. It's about actions. Verse 20, he says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. If you're saying, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, God, oh, I had my great devotional time this morning. Oh, such a good time of worship. And then you go out and you hate your brother or your sister. You treat them badly. You slander them. John's saying, you're a liar. You're a liar. You're a hypocrite. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. He's saying, look at the hypocrisy of that. You can't even love the people right in front of your nose. How are you supposed to love God? And so finally, John spells out for us the second mark of perfect love. Remember, the first was confidence before God. And the second is, is, is spelled out in verse 21. He says, and he has given us this commandment. Notice it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. Ah, maybe you should do this, you know, but I'll let you decide. No, it's a commandment. God's like, do this. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That's a command, a divine command right there. We are commanded to love our brother and our sister. And we need to do that more and more today in the, in the, just the, everything we're seeing in society right now, where everything is about anger, it's about rage. And some of it is justified. So we, you know, we, we have to acknowledge that. But ultimately, this will not be the answer. Love will be the answer. Only through love, not fear, will we see the healing of our land. Only through love, not fear, will we see the healing of our hearts. And only through love, not fear, will we see reconciliation and true justice. And only through love, true sacrificial love, loving others, regardless of their race, religion, or creed, only then will they know we are Christians. Let's pray. Father, we need to be conduits of your love. We need to be gospel people. We need to be people, Lord, who show outrageous love for others. A love that baffles the rest of the world. A love that cannot be contained. A love that is only defined by you, Lord. 
And so help us, teach us, Lord, how to, how to show that love to the world, to be radical in the ways, Lord, that we interact with others. Help us to remain humble with open hearts. Help us to be willing to learn, to see the, the blind spots in our own lives, the assumptions and the prejudices that we have. Show them, show, open our hearts, Lord, show in our hearts where there are places where we need to grow. And so, Lord, we thank you that because you loved us first, we love. And we praise you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.